Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Likely that these were both sent around the same time. But as we're going to see tonight, there are some differences to the church in 2 John as there are to the church in 3 John. The church in 3 John, John sends this letter to deal with something specific after he has commended Gaius for his generosity, for his hospitality. So to kind of recap a little bit, we have this letter that John wrote. This is the Apostle John, and we see these same words and phrases in this epistle of John that we see in the Gospel of John and in the books of 1st and 2nd John. John starts out saying that he is greatly rejoiced. He is thrilled about what he's hearing in terms of the way that Gaius has been acting in hospitality to these people who have come through this church. In verse 5, he commends Gaius even more, saying that he has done faithfully He has shown the love of Christ to brethren and to strangers. But there's a reason that he did this. In verse 6, because they bore witness of the truth. They sent them out because they bore witness of the truth. And in verse 8, we see and understand that what reason was behind this was that they could receive them and become fellow helpers in the truth. To kind of lay a little bit of history again tonight, what would happen in these days is the church would send out people to evangelize and to start other churches. The mission of the church has always been to proclaim the gospel and duplicate itself. All through the book of Acts and even the understanding that we see in the epistles, it's to take the gospel and to duplicate it. And what other job have we been given that is greater than this? Is there anything more important that the church can be given than to take the gospel of Jesus to those who do not know it? Paul said it was the gospel that is the power to salvation. So if we literally have the source of power in the gospel to transform lives and to transform cultures, what other thing would we make ourselves about? There's nothing else that we can do. What would happen is as we see this book of Acts played out and even into the life of John, the apostles would send out men that were called to go and duplicate what was happening in Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas, what did they do? They left Jerusalem because they were sent by the men there and they were taking the gospel and they were starting churches. And if you look in the book of Timothy, and again, we covered this last week, the book of 2 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, the book of Titus, are books where Paul is doing the same thing 
through the church at Antioch that was done to him through the church at Jerusalem. So Jerusalem starts the church at Antioch, and through Antioch, Paul sends Timothy and says, okay, you're going to go up to Ephesus and start starting churches in Ephesus. This is what the elders need to look like. Titus, go to Crete. Start churches in Crete. This is what the elders, this is what the deacons, this is what they need to look like. This is how you hold on to the gospel. This is what the gospel is. Paul is literally training people to do the same thing that he is doing. And all of it is coming out of the church. What John does here in verses 9 and 10 of his epistle, after giving us a positive example of Gaius, begins to describe a man by the name of Diotrephes. In verse 9 we read, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth probating against us with malicious words and not content therein, neither doth he receive the brethren and forbiddeth them that would and casteth them out of the church. So we have this man named Gaius who is showing generosity. He's bringing these people who have been sent out to proclaim the gospel and to start together assemblies together, to start churches. These people who are about that mission, Gaius is seeing them. They're defined by their gospel. And he shows them hospitality. He's helping them along their way. Some interesting things that we could look at about these people that we won't look at this evening but he's doing this. But in contrast, John then describes a man named Diotrephes, who instead of showing hospitality, is showing rebellion. Yeah. He's opposing John's authority. And he's not just opposing John's authority but he's disrupting the work of the church. And if we understand that the gospel is the proclamation of the church, it is literally the job of the church for us to proclaim the gospel to the saint and to the sinner, that the saint may grow and that the sinner may come, then it is of the utmost importance that we understand how to identify people who will keep this from happening and how to solve these types of of events. So we have in verse number nine the example of this man named Diotrephes. First thing I want to look at about this man is he had a domineering spirit. And if we're going to discern to what unhealthy leadership looks like in the church, then we need to be discerning some specific things. And one of those things is discerning whether or not people that we are looking at to call to be leaders of the church or even people that are leaders in the church, whether or not they have a domineering spirit. Again, verse 9, he said, I wrote to the church, but 
And that's not a good one. You know, we have things like, but the gift of God is eternal life. That's a good conjunction. He says, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence, receiveth us not. He said, there's a man in your midst who is so consumed with himself and his preeminence that he will not even receive an apostle of the Lord. A man who literally was trained and followed Jesus Christ himself. He is so consumed with himself, he will not even receive an apostle, much less anyone else. John has written to this area of churches where it seems that Gaius and Diotrephes are both members or at least members in separate congregations of this area. But what we see happening is this man preventing the letter that John had sent from even being read. And we don't know what letter he's talking about. We don't have a copy of the letter that John is talking about, but John had written a letter previously to the church, and he had gotten word back that Diotrephes won't even let them read it. So we have a letter from an apostle that you better not read. And if you do, there's going to be trouble. Do you see that domineering spirit? Where someone is saying, if you do this, this will happen. And it has nothing to do with sin. It's reading. Diotrephes is infected with some type of personal ambition. And this personal ambition has swollen. This infection in him has swollen into rebellion. What's some of the stuff that we see about this man? that can lead us back to understanding that he has this domineering type spirit, this spirit that is opposite of the spirit of Christ. We know that Christ is the Lord, right? Christ is Lord. But what do we know about the heart of Christ? He said, I am meek and lowly at heart. The heart of Christ is not domineering, even though he could domineer it. The heart of Christ is meek and lowly. So this man is opposite completely of the Christ that he is supposed to be proclaiming to people. Yes. Right. We see in verse number 9, to put in different words, we read he loves to have preeminence among them. Basically what John is saying, he says this guy likes to put himself on top. Yeah. This guy likes to be first. And this is a striking description of someone who is supposed to be pointing people to Christ. We don't know the substance of why Diotrephes was mad at John. We don't know why. But whatever it was, when we combine this with this ambition, with this spirit of domineering in Diotrephes, we have enough to cause some trouble. John not only tells us that he likes to put himself first, but that's likely the motivation behind his actions. If you were to peel away all of the actions of this man, Diotrephes, you're going to find behind everything the motivation of being first, being the leader, 
being my way or the highway, being what I think is the right way, irregardless, period. Because he likes to put himself first. He likes to make the decisions. He likes to be on top. He likes to be the one who controls the ship. And we understand that God has given us elders and deacons and offices in the church to help the church navigate. But Christ is the head of the church. Right. Amen. Not this man, Diotrephes. And no one in this assembly or any other assembly is the head of the church. Right. right. The one interesting thing about the wording that John uses here when he says he loves to have preeminence, it's the only place in the entire scripture that we read that phrase. He loved to be the leader. He loved to exercise his authority in the church. He wanted to control people and he wanted people to know he was in control. And when people started to think maybe he wasn't, what did he do? He said, you're not reading that letter. I don't care if it came from God himself. You're not reading it. So he controls these people in this way. And unfortunately, we see this in a lot of churches today. We see people who have seen the way to get into an authority position, and they wield that authority in an abusive manner. It may not always be abusive, but they're still wielding it with the wrong motivation. They're wielding it for the wrong reason. And the way that you know when someone is wielding their authority for the wrong reason is when you try to start to take their authority. If anybody comes up to take that authority, there's going to be problems. And John wasn't even attempting to usurp his authority. He was just writing them a letter. But Diotrephes was apparently so insecure and so consumed with this authority to be preeminent that he was literally restricting the gospel from coming through this assembly. This ambition for leadership is especially problematic when it comes from someone who is in the first place unqualified to lead. And that's most likely what we will find out about this man from the text, is if he had a domineering, domineering spirit and had an arrogance about him, and led, which led him to being rebellious towards authority figures in his own life, then he was not qualified to lead in the first place. How he got in this position, we do not know, but he was unqualified to be in this position because he did not meet the qualifications that have been given us by Scripture, and he did not reflect the love and the meekness and the humility that come from the Savior. This arrogance in him, it led to rebellion. And John tells us this. He has gotten these reports He basically says that he will not even acknowledge my authority. The word here is actually plural. He says he won't even acknowledge our authority. He says here, receiveth us not. 
He won't even acknowledge us. And whether John is using this in a (coughs) royal way like us, like me, us, or whether he's saying it as an us, him including the other elders in the area, he will acknowledge, not acknowledge any of us. So he's not only arrogant with his love to be first, he will not acknowledge authority. It's, this arrogance has led to rebellion. He is disregarding the authority that Jesus himself had placed upon the Apostle John. Yes. Like I said, he is disregarding that there is any authority above him. He is the man of God, and nobody can question him. Well, what we see, we'll see as we continue through this text is there are questions that are going to come yes. for Diotrephes. And you can mark it down. Anyone who ever abuses authority and harms the people of God and restricts the propagation of the gospel of God will have their retribution at some point. Yes. So he's not only arrogant, which has led to rebellion. His arrogance and his rebellion has led to him slandering. What does the text say? He receives a stunt. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, probating against us with malicious words. He can't even stop at pushing against the authority of John and wielding his own authority, he's slandering John himself. I mean, how dumb do you have to be that you are slandering an apostle? These, you have to understand, these people were likely even around for the ministry of Jesus. They knew who John was. There was no question about who John was. So we have a man who will not only push John away, say, don't even read what he has to say, but he's slandering against him. He's probating against us with malicious words. Literally, what John was saying, and it made me laugh whenever I read it, John is basically saying he is talking wicked nonsense against us. I like the word nonsense, if you don't know that about me. It's one of my favorite words, nonsense. No sense. John says, this man is talking wicked nonsense. Not just nonsense, like, hey, John's probably lost his mind. You know how old he is? He probably He's probably gone. His brain's done, checked out. The lights are on, but nobody's home. It wasn't even that kind of slander. It was wicked slander. It was malicious. It wasn't even talking, hey, saying, you know, we don't really, I don't even really know if we need to listen to this guy. We don't really know, you know, again, he might be up in A. It wasn't even like that. This man was literally making up lies against John. Anything that he could think of, that he could be malicious, that he could intentionally attack 
John. He was doing it. He's talking this nonsense. And again, we don't know if this us, this plural use of the word here in the text, probating against us, we don't know if John is using this in a, again, in a royal sense, or if he's doing it with all the apostles. Which if we start to see the character of this man, I don't think that's beyond reason. That this man who is willing to slander and refuse the authority of an apostle, it wouldn't surprise me if he was saying the same thing about all of the apostles. Anybody who wasn't him was wrong. And not only were they wrong, but he was out to get them. Literally, this man was gossiping. And that's the wording here, is gossip. This malicious, it's intentional, malicious, wicked gossip. It wasn't enough for him just to say it. He was stirring it up. I tell my kids on the way to school, many, many, many mornings, they'll be arguing with each other. And my kids are just little pictures of myself. And I've understood that the older that I've gotten. And I've started to see my sin more clear in the lives of my children. I said the other night, I was, I was, I was talking the other night, I said, that, I said, one of my besetting sins is intellectual pride. Because, and my wife can attest to this, sometimes I talk to her and I talk in a way that I know she doesn't understand just because I know she doesn't understand it. And for the record, that's sinful. Just in case anybody wants to know, that's sinful. But you know how I really identified that I do that? It's because my kids do that. When my kids talk with each other, the same arrogance comes out of them. And as I'm sitting there rebuking and correcting them, you'll never guess what's happening to me. John is gossip. He's, he's, he's stirring. That's what I tell my kids. They'll be arguing with each other. And I will tell them, and they will tell you that I tell them this. I say, kids, lay down the spoons. And what they know that means is quit stirring up the problem. But Diotrephes wasn't settled with laying down the spoon. If the soup started to settle just a little bit, guess what he did? He ran, he grabbed his spoon, and he started stirring up the gossip Again, because he needed everyone to know who he was and the control that he had. So he's resisting the proper authority in his life. And to properly, and I don't mean that in a good sense, to properly resist authority, it required, it almost required him to speak evil against that authority. And what do we do? What do we do? And I know this example gets beat to death around here. If you get put over for speeding on the way home today, and that officer gives you a ticket, what do you say about him? Well, he was obviously in a bad mood. He must have had to meet his quota. Pushing back against authority always, always, always requires that you speak evil against that authority. And that's what this man was doing. He was speaking evil against John. 
just completely even neglects what Proverbs tells us. If you want some wisdom, look at the book of Proverbs. Proverbs literally exemplifies Christ, the wisdom of God. Proverbs says that whoever even utters slander is a fool. God says, if slander comes out of your mouth, you're a fool. So we could step back and say, if we don't know anything else about this man, he was a fool. And a big fool because he was pushing it back against an apostle. Again, how dumb can you be? But we don't only see this domineering spirit in Diotrephes. We also see a refusal to welcome others. Look back, if you will, in verse number 10. He says, he's not just content with these slanderous words, but he will not receive the brethren. It's not enough just to slander against John. If anybody's even connected with John, don't receive them. If they don't line up every T crossed and every I dotted with Diotrephes, don't let them in. Don't help them out. Don't do anything. Forget the gospel. The gospel doesn't matter. What matters is the word of Diotrephes. What matters is the preferences of Diotrephes. What matters is what Diotrephes has said. If they don't line up with him, don't give them anything. I don't care if they're spreading the gospel. I don't care if they are propagating and proclaiming Christ to other people. Who cares about that? That was his mindset. Because he said, I'm not receiving them and you better not either. So he's got this domineering spirit and he refuses to show hospitality. If we go to John, what is literally one of the qualifications of someone in leadership? If you don't know, given to hospitality. And that doesn't come easy. It's, I had to take, whether for better or for worse, I don't know if it's real or not, but I had to take a spiritual gift test in my church administration class in school this year. And apparently, I am really bad with hospitality. I pretty much figured that because I'm an introvert and I just don't like being around people more than I have to. So it's hard for me to show hospitality. But if you were to say, Jeffrey is not hospitable, then there's a problem with my qualifications. But I think we could even argue that someone who is less hospitable is still preference preferable to someone who is anti-hospitality. Because some of us may struggle with different gifts. Some of us may struggle with different qualifications. Some of us have strengths that others don't have. Some of us have failures that others don't have. But we're all brought together for the edification of one another. That's what the scriptures have told us. Yes. Even our confession tonight told us that. But he was anti these qualifications. He was anti these gifts. He was anti probably anybody that wasn't him or on his side. 
What was the consequences? And what are the consequences of this type of unhealthy leadership? Someone who is unhospitable, who pushes back against the gifts that God has given to the church, that pushes back against the ministers that God has given to the church, who pushes back against others who may in some way, shape, or form rise to his level of authority. What's the consequences of this type of leadership? Verse number nine, he receives us not. And then verse number 10 says that he forbids them. And if someone begins to show hospitality to someone who is proclaiming the gospel, he casts them out. This man is literally performing church discipline on people who don't agree with him. Again, it's not about the gospel for this man. It's about him. What this type of leadership does in the church, the consequences of this is it is divisive. It tears the church apart. He foments this division in the church. Not only by refusing to be hospitable to other faithful people that are proclaiming the gospel, but he prevents others from doing it as well. And anybody who does start start to show this hospitality, this gift of God, he casts them out. Any man who is like Gaius, who is engaging in this what John says is a faithful work in verse number five, who shows hospitality to the ministers of the gospel. He performs church discipline. He divides the church. This division isn't only in his life, but it begins to be formed into the life of the assembly that is around them. And that's what will happen if you have divisive leadership in an assembly. It will begin to divide the assembly because you can't have divisive leadership without having a divided assembly. When Christ makes a call, who does he make a call to? Anybody who is heavy laden. Anybody. That sounds like unity to me. It don't matter what kind of labor you're laden with. Come. It don't matter if we have these second, and that's even, we go over that in our members class and in our members interviews. We, we don't, these secondary differences don't matter because the gospel is preeminent. Right. Not a person, not a policy, not a practice. It's the gospel. Yes. He's dividing the church over his own preferences, over his own authority. Yeah. And this dividing of the church does something that's even potentially worse than that. In verse number 10, this dividing of the church hinders the gospel. What the church is literally here to do is hindered. Verse number 10, he's not receiving these men who are going out to start other churches. He's not receiving these men who are proclaiming the gospel. He is literally slandering them maliciously, intentionally gossiping about them because 
preacher up the road don't do things like he does. The church down the road don't do things like he does. The guys in Jerusalem, they don't line up with everything that he does. So we're refusing to even help them out with any way, shape, or form. And if you even try it, get out. It's hindered the gospel. The gospel is what they were called to be helping propagate. That was the reason that the church is literally here. What did the confession say tonight? What have we believed as Baptists for 400 years? What is in the scripture that the church is here to propagate the gospel? And if we're hindering the gospel, we may as well shut the doors and quit. We've eliminated our responsibility. We've thrown the most precious gift that God can give to us, whom he has saved, out in the ditch. We don't care about it because we're more important. Our legacy is more important. What we think we need to be showing people is more important. It's one of the most insidious things about pride is it blinds us to the repercussions. All we see is how we can either make our way forward like we want to go or we see people who are trying to take our authority from us. And it may have been that Diotrephes was blind to this divisiveness in the church because he saw sides, my side and not my side. And he was probably blind to the hindrance of the gospel because obviously he didn't even care about the gospel. Odds are he didn't even know what the gospel was because if he knew what the gospel was, he wouldn't be pushing against people who had it. Diotrephes demonstrates how a failure to yield ourselves to the gospel will inevitably lead to divisiveness in the church and a hindrance to the proclamation of that gospel. So what do we do about it? How do we navigate through this? John tells us, specifically here, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth. John says we're not going to just agree to disagree on this issue. We see the same thing happen with Peter and Paul in a lighter sense. But Peter was doing things that hindered the gospel going to the Gentiles. Peter was there. He was proclaiming the gospel to the Gentiles. But as soon as some Jewish leaders showed up, he wouldn't even eat with them. He wouldn't eat with the Gentiles. He had nothing to do with them. And Paul says that he confronted him to his face. Look, Peter, what you're doing is not helping. You're not showing the gospel. Peter saw that and Peter repented. We have evidence of that. So what do we do? Well, first we have to identify these signs of unhealthy leadership. And we have to respond biblically. Sometimes that biblical response means a confrontation. It does. And sometimes that confrontation means leaving. 
In the book, The Gospel Mystery of Sanctification, Walter Marshall writes, to put in modern English, which I tried to do, <laughs> he says, if a church leaves Christ, leave the church. He said, I don't care how long. He said, I don't care if the church goes back to the apostles. If they leave Christ, leave the church and find somewhere where you find Christ. The call of the congregation has always been, scripturally speaking, to guard the gospel. That's why we're here. We're proclaiming the gospel and we're guarding the gospel. And Paul tells Timothy that in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. He said the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. In that day, a pillar was where you, it was basically the form, the public form. If there was something happening, it was stuck to a pillar. Well, that pillar had to have something holding it to the ground to protect it from falling over. The word Paul uses there is a ground. He says the church is the pillar, the proclamation, the outgoing of the truth, and it's the protector of the truth. Paul didn't say I'm the ground and the pillar of the truth. Paul didn't say that this pastor is the ground and the pillar of the truth. Paul said the church. He laid this in instructing Timothy how to start these churches. He laid this at the feet of Timothy. He said, they're the ones. This is their responsibility. You lead them how to do this. But if there are issues, it's the congregation's responsibility to guard the truth. That's their, the only reason that we're here is we're proclaiming the gospel to one another and we're protecting the gospel from other influences. That's the church's job. So when we are confronted with unhealthy leadership today, the scriptures here have called us to identify what unhealthy leadership looks like in its early stages. Before you even say, hey, this person would be a good person to be in leadership. You need to identify these things before that ever happens. It doesn't matter how influential or charismatic someone is. If they are unqualified and they show signs of unhealthy leadership, do not put them into leadership. Identify these signs. If there is someone in leadership with these signs, then this person needs to be dealt with. And we understand the gospel calls us to reconciliation. The goal is to correct people with the gospel. That's the goal. But wanting to keep back from any kind of disruption, any kind of confrontation, should not stop us from identifying these signs within the church that will, number one, divide the church, and number two, hinder the gospel. And again, we're called to identify them or we're called to respond biblically to them. John will continue throughout the rest of this epistle and kind of wrap things up. But it's necessary for us to understand this hard part of this third epistle. It wasn't all cupcakes and rainbows. It wasn't all... Unicorns and sparkles. It wasn't all wonderful. This is stuff that happens. And we have to be prepared to understand why it happens. 
to identify when it happens and to respond to it after it has happened. Let's pray.